You're listening to Starting Place, a podcast of Training the Church. Hey, y'all, it is Elizabeth, and I am back for another episode on Starting Place with my friend, Nika Spaulding, and we are going to continue our conversation about how the gospel unfolds through the New Testament. We've been pulling out these themes, y'all, and as we get to Acts and really to the end of the New Testament, we're going to pick up certain values or practices that we see the people of God entering into and talk about why they're important and, again, how they connect with their everyday life. Nika, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. I played hey. big ball this morning, so life <laughs> is good. I asked you this in uh, before we got started, but for the people who are like, what's pickleball? Can you tell us? Can you enlighten us? Yeah, it's the fastest growing sport in the United States, which is neither good or bad, depending on whatever side of that you want to fall. I told Elizabeth, this is the line I use for everybody. It's like, if ping pong and tennis had a love child, <laughs> it would be pickleball. So it's a little bit, it's a smaller court than tennis, but a little bit more aggressive yeah. than ping pong. And Either you're, it's sort of like you're, it's a cult. I mean, let's just call it what it is. Like if you're in it, you have to talk about it and get new recruits, which is why I'm here. Okay. We'd love to Great. have you in Great. the pickleball cult. Okay, so, feels yeah. like an MLM. Yeah. Great. This is, this is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Low-cost startup and one trend. <laughs> Oh, man, this is going to be a great conversation. This is going to be great. I'm excited. So other than play pickleball, Nike, you are the resident theologian at St. Jude Oak Cliff. Can you tell us what the work of a resident theologian is? Yeah, uh, I have the best job. It's really great. So I get to do midweek theology, whether that's Bible study or theological study. I also get to help lead the liturgy on Sunday mornings, whether that's preaching or leading the prayers of the people or doing whatever is necessary on Sunday morning. And actually, the last year, I've also gotten to jump in and be the youth pastor and the children's minister, which I would have told you was a very bad idea when we started it a year ago. Um, and it probably still is, but God is good. And so that's been really fun. And um, But I, I like I say, I like to say this, like I set the theological tone mm-hmm. for our church. So what that means is if people have theological questions, if they've got biblical questions, I will field those. I'll talk to folks. And then also our head pastor, Martin Bond, really wants us to to be generous with the training that he and I have had. And so that also means, uh, you know, creating resources for the church yeah. at large. So if people want any of the stuff we create, classes we teach, all of that to make sure that's available. So yeah. it's fun. I basically get to study and talk about the Bible and love people, which is pretty great. And they pay me. Well, come you on, you get paid for that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> wild. Yeah, no, it's just a need for communities to be formed deeply in their faith. And sometimes when I talk to folks, the issue is that they just don't have anybody. Yeah. That they themselves have not been trained or don't have access to that training or that they don't have enough to bring on someone besides themselves. And so I love that your church has the ability to bless your people with that wisdom that comes from you. And so that's a really, really fun thing. But you also are a podcaster. I am. Well, if you want to call it that. I I filled in one summer on a podcast called Honestly Though for Liz Rodriguez. And then now I'm just there. So I don't know if I'm still in room, but I show up a lot on that podcast. So yeah, so I'm one of the, I'm, I guess I'm one of the official okay. new co-hosts. They changed the graphic and that's serious when you change the graphic. That's official. So, it's official. Yeah. So Rebecca Carroll and Liz Rodriguez started a podcast and then now I'm, I'm a part of it okay. pretty regularly. So apparently I have a podcast, which is nice. Okay. So I like to joke that I have friends that say, gosh, you you ask questions that sound so genuinely curious. And I'm like, well, it's because I actually didn't do any prep. <laughs> and they are genuinely 
curious. But Rebecca's like, it kind of works. Like she steers and I'm like, huh, that's interesting what you just said. Say more because I don't know what we're talking about. Let's just get on and see where this takes us. I was, I wrote notes for yours because I was like, I'm the guest. Like I'm going to take this so serious. And my friends who have seen me do my other prep from my other podcast, like, why are you taking notes? I was like, no, no, this isn't my podcast. (laughs) I'm going to be ready for Elizabeth. Oh, praise the Lord. I'm ready. I will do my homework for this one. I will be prepared. So, Come on, Prep. I love it. I love it. (laughs) So today we are talking about the church in the book of Acts and really as we see them to the end of the New Testament. And these two practices we see happen pretty immediately, which are worship and community. And it's seemingly obvious question, but I think it's an important one. Why do the people of God gather in worshiping community? Is it something new for them? Is it a repetition of something old? But why would they want to do this and not just try to follow Jesus on their own? Yeah, it's so good. You know, I think like one, when you say like, why do they do this? Like the obvious answer is they they want to worship. And I think what's so interesting in the ancient world, there is nobody who's not worshiping. Like there's no person who's like, oh, I just don't have a faith yeah. at all. And so like this idea that you would participate in worship of something would not have been new to the Christians. And when you think about the Jewish converts, they would have the model of the synagogue, their weekly gathering, as well as their midweek, their, their practices, right? Every morning doing the Shema and every, and gathering as a family, have so much evidence of family yeah. devotions as well for the for the Jewish folks who would have become followers of the Messiah. And then when you think about the Gentiles who would be transferring, they they know cultic worship. Yeah. That is not new for them. What that would have looked like, though, is a little bit more ecstatic, probably just a priest doing incantations yeah. and things like that. So this idea of these Jewish converts and these Gentile converts pulling from their past experiences of everyone gathers to worship something. Yeah. And now they're coming together. But I think the reason also they'd be gathering is now you're talking about if you were a Jewish convert, you were always going to be a, a part of the minority group because you're in the Greco-Roman society. You haven't had the land since it fell, right, to Nebuchadnezzar. You're, you're used to that. Yeah. The Gentiles, though, that choose to convert, that's an interesting thing now because whereas they might have been worshiping Artemis or Zeus or actually a whole pantheon yeah. of gods, now you're talking about belonging to a subset that worships one God and has restraint on sexuality, has restraint on food, has restraint on relationships and all of this stuff and is calling you to a higher way of life. And I would think if you're going to make it, suddenly you now go, hey, there's this Jewish man who walked the earth, died and rose again, and that's my God. You, you're going to need to gather as a body to encourage and and admonish and press yeah. each other forward. And, and you hear that in the New Testament writings, like keep going, hold mm. on to the faith, like stand firm. Yeah. And you understand, like, of course, there's false teachers that come in, but there's also got to be massive societal pressure. I mean, we have so many writings from non, non-Christians during that time. And they're like, they're all stupid, like these people. And you're like, yeah, you'd probably need each other to be like, are we crazy yeah. for falling? And so, but I I also think just part of worship in the ancient world too included sharing a meal, included things you have to do together. Yeah. You cannot, there is no private worship mm-hmm. in the ancient world. And it's something I wish we understood better in, in today's modern societies. We think like me, my Bible, mm-hmm. my bootstraps, and that's faith. And I'm like, that's so foreign in the world where the Bible came from. Like people would look at me and be like, no, like that's that's called a cult. Like, no. And so that's that's just not how it was done in the ancient world. So we have a lot to learn from our ancient brothers and sisters in that regard. That, you know, when you look at some of the writings or even, like you said, non-Christians responses to Christians, 
it's so clear that there is this identification with this community. And so much so when you see times of persecution, like you see them like grabbing, they're not just grabbing folks who are hanging out with Christians on their own. They're like, hey, are you part of this church? Are you part of this gathering? Uh, (laughs) And they were throwing women in prison in addition to men. You're kind of going, that's crazy. Because no woman who's worshiping like Zeus is like, nah, that ain't me. Whereas, you know, the fact that you're like, no, they threw the women. And there weren't, I always like had to remind, there weren't female prisons and male prisons with like guards and cells like they threw both in the ground and if you've ever seen the Roman prisons if you've ever been to Rome it's like horrifying to think of what those early church women went through and then to think they kept ministering when they got out I mean it's wild and so it's pretty amazing yeah I mean the the strength of faith that you can only form in communing with other people who were strong as yeah. well, because we get a glimpse in the New Testament of the leaders that they would have had. And I mean, you have somebody like Paul who who loves to tell us, man, I've been through all this stuff yeah. <laughs> for the gospel, just in case you Y'all forgot. Been shipwrecked? <laughs> uh, you haven't been shipwrecked, then you don't know. You don't yeah. know. You don't Absolutely. know this life. <laughs> and you see the strength and clarity of conviction mm. that they will stand in the face of death to hold to the gospel. And you're only going to get that in community. But what I also love is to see the history is that living in community was just what people did, right? So you think about the geographic proximity that people would have to one another, uh, that they're gathering in a synagogue that's in their community, that they know the people that live, whether... I would say on the block, that they are going to the same places. And so this idea that they would have a faith and a worship of God that's not connected to the people around them was foreign to just how they did life, period. Yeah, I mean, like we we think about like, you get home from work, right? You go to your single dwelling home, yeah. your single dwelling apartment, your single dwelling whatever. Maybe you have a family, maybe you have a roommate. And then what, Netflix or hop on the internet or what? And I'm like, what do you think people did after work in the first century? And why would it not be sharing a meal, being with people? Like, how did you buy your groceries? How did you, how did you do your work? How did you, everything was relationally connected. Everything Mm -hmm. was relationally connected. Business, play, pleasure, everything. Mm -hmm. And so this idea of like, well, we're just going to hang out in our home this evening, which doesn't have indoor plumbing or entertainment or probably writing material and that, and we're just going to, like, we're good and we'll see y'all on Sunday or on Sabbath, right. on Saturday. For It's like, that's just bizarro. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I always think, like, I would love to, like, bring someone from this first century here and go, I'm going to just explain to you what my day looks like and just see, like, them being like, you're missing a lot. Yeah. Like, you're missing people yeah. here. Like, you need more relationships if you're going to be happy and healthy. And so, yeah. Yeah, because I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I think about how one of the biggest problems in our moment is loneliness Mm -hmm. and how much of that is related to that we are so isolated and how they had a lot of problems in the new, the first century church. But I'm just right. They were doing some stuff. (laughs) But Paul's not preaching a message of don't be lonely. (laughs) Like He's not doing that. And so we see that this this is impacting them ways that are really, really fruitful. And so when you think about some of the commands that we're given in in the New Testament, Nika, how was community designed to form the Christian? What can we see that's like, oh, this is good for us and this will change me to be more like Christ? Yeah, I think a couple of things when you look at so I would take people first Corinthians 12, especially that body metaphor, and then expand it all the way into 14. You get this overwhelming sense of like, everybody is mission critical to the church 
body at that moment. Somebody's bringing a hymn. Someone's bringing a word of wisdom. Someone's bringing a tongue. Someone's going to interpret that. Someone's uh-huh. got discernment. Someone's got healing. Someone's got, and then you've got the meal. Like you've got to have wealthy patrons to provide uh-huh. the meat. You've got to have sort of this idea of you as an individual and you as part of the collective, the equal ultimacy of the one and the many, it starts to form you to say, I'm, I'm mad. If I don't show up to worship yeah. on this, yeah. on this evening, and they used to worship in the evening, which makes more sense when the guy falls out of the window, <laughs> when Paul's going long and you're like, that's a bad sermon. But then when you realize, well, they, like, there hey, were no days yeah. off. And so they, they worshiped at night. Got it. Like I would have fallen out the window too after a hard day's work, but they, you know, you worship at night, you have a meal together, which is so subversive and then you call each other's brothers sisters mothers fathers and then the and then you get this letter from paul let's say you're in rome and he's like you need to do this for one another you need to outdo one another and all you need to serve one and and sort of and you get this letter in corinth and you know part of it's like y'all need to act right but then you get to 12 to 14 and this assumption that my participation in worship not only result in my good because I'm being formed into greater conformity to Christ, this this Jewish man, Messiah that we're all following, but my brothers and sisters need what God has given me to bring to them. And this model of like one pastor, one worship leader, and then people listen, that is is like post third century. Like in the early church, everyone, slave, child, parent, all of that. And so that's what I'd say is one, you can't get through Corinthians without saying like, I am significant and I matter to the kingdom of God. I'm mission critical to the kingdom of God and the gifts that God has given me are not only, they're not for my benefit. They're for the benefit of the other. And then secondly, when you look at the New Testament, how often they break bread, like Mm -hmm. meals and meals in the ancient world were so subversive. I mean, so subversive. You either use them to wine and dine or you use them for status or like there was a lot more going on than just sustenance. Like there's a lot more. And you see Paul rebuking the Corinthians because they're not using the meals the way that they're supposed to. They're not sharing the way they're supposed to. But you look at, in the ancient world, a slave would only serve a meal. Mm. And you look at the church, and the slave is being served in a meal. And if that doesn't impact the way that you understand your value and your worth in a church that is no longer, that is trying to be egalitarian. I don't mean egalitarian like women's roles. I mean in the sense that like status is flattened. You know, there's like, they talk about all the things in the ancient world that you knew your pecking order. Like one scholar says, it's sort of like two people walking down the sidewalk. There's only room for one. Who's going to give way? They would know. Gender mattered. You know, your status in the Roman society mattered. Your wealth mattered. Your ethnicity mattered. All this matters. And suddenly you're in a space for the first time in your life. And you get this letter from Paul. And it says, you've been adopted as a child of God. And in the ancient world, adoption, you only adopted free males because you wanted to give them your inheritance. And suddenly you're sitting there and you're hearing the same message that, you're, that your owner is, is hearing. And you're going, me too? Yeah. And Paul's like, oh yeah, you too. And you get to eat at the table. You don't have to serve. You don't have to wash the feet. Jesus washes feet. We'll wash your feet. Like, if that doesn't change the way you understand who you are, and what God wants for you in this world, like we are missing something by not having those subversive moments in our church worship experiences today. Yeah, it is so much of our modern model of church. This is not every church. I think uh, you do see this trend of either really small churches or massive churches for lots of different reasons. And I think we have a consumer model. And so, like you said, you have the one pastor, you have the worship leader, and we come to receive something and then get in our cars and go home. I might greet the person next to me. 
Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> and then I go home. Yeah. Me too with you. Okay, okay great. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. See you next yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You walk away. <laughs> like, they turn to you and you're just like, Right, it's like, it. you know yeah. you're supposed to talk to them. But we're, we're bad, <laughs> awkward people. And to see a model of church where it's like, yeah, that that's a function of our culture. There's a lot of things that are in that. It's not necessarily a horrible model. But what we do lose is that church is not just for me to receive. It's for me to give. Yeah. yeah. And the power of transformation and redemption and how we are able to to really be able, I think of the idea of love in the biblical text as seeking the good of the other person. And I'm in this space where I think a lot about shalom and a lot about like shalom cultivation and creation care and that I show up just so that you thrive, that you flourish. That's my goal. And to be in mm-hmm. a church where I'm able to give that to another in a way that's not just a one-off, but it's continually how that transforms people, how that uplifts people and really how that transforms communities uh, that we get to experience what I believe God intended for us to experience. And so church becomes so much more substantive because I realize it's important for me to show up and to give. And in the giving, mm-hmm. which I, the Holy Spirit, to me, it's a, it's a dynamic process. And so there's transformation that happens for me as well. But it is this idea of, I don't just come to receive. I don't yeah, just come so to have this individual experience. I don't just come to get kind of this hit to help me make it through the week. Yes, we need encouragement. Yes, we need to be reminded of the truth that helps us be who we need to be out in the world. I kind of think of church in my probably worst football illustration I will ever have. Church to me is the huddle. Yeah, it's like I... Yeah, I love it. I'm here for it. Yeah. Uh, the huddle and Monday mm-hmm. through Saturday is the game. And yeah. the huddle, it, it's important, it's valuable, it's beautiful, but it helps us get in the game. And I think yeah. there's so much of us that we just stay in the huddle. Like we just stay there oh, yeah. and we oh, never. Yeah. It's safe there. Yep. It's cozy there. Not much is asked of me there. At all. Yeah. Yeah. I heard it. There was a study in like the 2010, 2010. Wow. That's weird. There were in the 20, <laughs> anyways, it was 2010s. It was sort of like, it was trying to help churches like really meet the, the, the person coming yeah. in who is just not comfortable in church. And they were saying the meet and greet is horrible. And they're basically like, it's awkward. You know, you need to cut it. And you saw all that. And, and I remember thinking like, okay, like, sure. But I'm like, but But what if your body Mm. was trained to understand that that person who just walked in is really significant and that they would desire to get to know them. And every single person is deputized in your church to love and to and to shake hands. all And I like. Our, our church is small enough and Oak Cliff just kind of gathers yeah. like Oak Cliff's just different than North Dallas yeah. where it's like churning. Yep. And so like I have to continuously interrupt the meet and greet. Like I have to be like, OK, OK. And like the like the 10 introverts in the room like, thank you, Jesus, that she got up there. But for the extroverts, like they just talk right over yeah. me. They're like, oh, that's our pastor. Don't worry about it. She'll she'll she waits for us. Like she she waits for us. And in a lot of ways, I'm like, no, I do. Like I like the Holy Spirit is at work in that moment, too. And I think that's so important. And I and I think that's part of like what we miss in that consumer model of one pastor and you kind of sing songs like there is a physicality Mm -hmm. to singing, but the physicality of eating a meal Mm -hmm. and talking to each other and, and, you know, they greet each other with a kiss, which I always laugh. Like if you study church history, you'll see a tradition and then you'll see how it's perverted later. And you'll see like someone having to write about it. So it was like third century. I think it was like Tertullian origin or somebody was like, close your mouth when you (laughs) kiss each other and don't try and kiss that woman twice. Like there's literal writings on this. I'm like, oh my gosh. But kissing (laughs) in the ancient world is far less romantic up until apparently someone was trying to take advantage of it. 
But you wouldn't greet, like a Roman free male would never kiss on the face a slave. Yeah. Which is why when Paul says greet each other with a holy kiss, like he's saying act like family mm. because you always kiss your family yeah. is what Paul is saying. And of course, then someone's like, you know, that girl, <laughs> that girl that's been coming. Right. I'm going to give her a holy kiss. I'm going to her unholy <laughs> kiss is like apparently what was happening. But, but I said all that to say like there's a physicality yeah. to the worship that that is also part of what transforms yeah. us. Like we are not just mental, cre- like we are embodied creatures who take our whole selves yeah. out of the huddle. Yeah. So when we get back into the huddle, we need a whole so like you got to drink that Gatorade, you got to sniff the grass, exactly. you got to do all, you know, all the things that require us to orient our whole mm. selves back to the true north, which is the way of Christ. This idea of orienting our whole selves, this idea of worship, this idea of being pointed to what's true and beautiful. Here's another idea that I think is interesting is sometimes a culture can make Christians feel as if we're the only people that worship anything. Yeah, that is so not true. <laughs> Unpack that for us, Nika. Yeah. I mean, you know who knows this is like media execs. Yes. They know. Yes. And Las Vegas knows. Yes. And the people who design your malls to look like cathedrals, mm. like James K. Smith talks about, like the light comes from above wow. and you can't really see out because then you'll be reminded there's a world yeah. out there. But in here, here if you buy that, <laughs> you'll be happy. <laughs> and you're, and everyone in Silicon Valley is like, just keep scrolling. Yeah. Just and yeah, the ancient people wouldn't. They, they would go, you're, you're going to worship mm-hmm. something. And I think what's interesting is like, if people are on it, and maybe it requires a cynicism, <laughs> right? Of like, no, you're going to worship. <laughs> there is this, there are there are bad actors yeah. who are going to count on the that you are going to become what you behold. There are bad actors that understand that philosophy of worship, that you become what you behold, you become what you worship. And so why don't we just be honest about that? Yeah. And I think that's what's so hard is we've we've out of politeness in a pluralistic society. And I get it. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not one that wants to force, you know, people like we got to force Christianity in schools. I'm like that. That is I, I understand we live in a pluralistic. We're meant to be good citizens. Yeah. That's what the, the New Testament continuously says. Not rambunctious force. Like we don't use the tool of empire to defeat empire mm-hmm. ever. We use the tools of kingdom, which are prayer and service and love and community. But that being said, if we could just be more honest in this pluralistic science, say there is no private religion. Mm -hmm. The reality is, is that there are whole industries designed to take the fact that we're going to naturally give ourselves to something. And usually it's going to feel like something greater than ourselves. And so it may be a philosophy, you know, philosophy, it might be sex yeah. it might be you know image it might be you know we we make really crummy gods but man it feels good for a yeah. while right we're like man do you see this photo yeah. look at the right light <laughs> that, if i put this on instagram guess how many likes i'm yeah. gonna get and then we all know that feeling of like mm. no one liked it mm-hmm. no we're not enough not enough liked mm-hmm. it and so all that to say this idea of you will become what you behold yeah. If we could be more honest about that, then I think the conversations, our evangelistic conversations could be a lot more fruitful, I think, to just say, hey, how, like, at the end of each day, do you have a tummy ache? Like, do you feel, do you like you? (laughs) Do you know what your purpose in life is? Hey, you thought it was this. You thought it was career, marriage, kids, whatever. And now you have it. Is there is there something more? Is there an ache at which you have not found anything in this life can fulfill? And I think that's the call of like further up, further in, as like C.S. Lewis would say. And I think if we could be more honest about that, one, we would structure our worship that way. So this is part of why we need physical embodied worship. Because those who already understand, like, no, I'm a worshiping creature. I'm like, hey, you worshiped with your appetite, things other than God this week. 
So you need to reorient your appetite mm-hmm. back toward God on Sunday yeah. and probably Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, yeah. Thursday. We probably should be more honest about what worship looks yeah. like midweek as well. And we need to be better cultural exegetes to understand these pressures that pull on us. I think people think, my favorite thing people say is, well, Instagram's a tool. It's like any tool. It's like a hammer. I'm like, no, 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 no. They haven't improved upon the hammer since they invented it. Maybe a longer handle. It's a, it hits a nail. That's what it does. Do you know how many brilliant MIT people are recruited to make that tool, that thing that you think is neutral in your hand, make you miserable? And the fact that none of those guys in Silicon Valley let their kids have it mm-hmm. is, tells you all you need to know. Right. And so we need to be better cultural exegetes to say, hey, I'm getting pulled away from God and God's people in subtle ways I'm not even aware of. And you know what? I'm wired for that. I'm wired to say, like, I like people. Mm -hmm. So I remember, like, Facebook promised us, like, to be connected. And, like, Twitter promised us, like, better better conversations for society. And Instagram was like, and they made all these promises, and they haven't delivered on one of them. Not one of them. But we're lying if we don't understand how much pressure— that creates in us because we're wired to want yeah. to be connected. We're yeah. wired, like all these things that pull us away from God. It, why? And it's because there's something yeah. deeply inside of us that needs approval, that needs love, that needs care. So let's make let's meet that in the Lord. But that's a quiet, <laughs> abiding. Like God doesn't like shout at you. I love you. I mean, He does honestly, <laughs> but you won't hear it the same way yeah. you'll hear. Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and television and, you know, all those things. And so I think we just need to be better exegetes of both culture and scripture Mm -hmm. and help people understand that desire of yours to be known. That is a good desire. You will not find it here, though. Yeah. Like you will will spend the rest of your life looking here. You will not find that. But that desire, don't lose it because it may not it may just bring you to the very face of God if you start looking in the right places. And there are these aspects of our humanity that are hardwired. Yeah. And to have the the courage to s- not surrender, but at least be honest that this is something in me I'm going to look to be fulfilled. These are questions that I will have. The older you get, the more you ask about, is this all that there is? Is this what life is about? Yeah. You know, like I have friends who are just like, man, I, can I get a refund? <laughs> can, this ain't this that ain't great. There. And I live a privileged life. Yeah. Like this is what I always tell about. I live a pri- yes. like. I don't even get to hide behind the mm. fact that I own a house and a car yeah. and I, my, the color of my skin provides me with opportunities that most people will yeah. never have. My ethnicity, my nationality, all of that. And I'm still going, this isn't worth mm. it if this is all there is. Yeah. I need the next life. Yep. I need the kingdom to come. This one, I will do the work that God has called me to do. Yeah. But if you are not feeling Genesis 3, then you're a billionaire. Yeah. And even then, I don't know, because I watch shows about billionaires every now and then, or at least I see the commercials, I don't really watch them, but I'm like, those people ain't happy. No. Nobody's happy. So why aren't you happy? If you if you have removed every thorn and thistle mm-hmm. of Genesis 3, why is there an ache? And it's because you are meant to worship something greater than yourself. Yeah. And that 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 is a good thing that God yeah. created us for that. Yeah, I think about just kind of the questions we ask ourselves that I think about if I ask my grandparents, those questions, they would look at me like I was crazy. Like, like what? what's the meaning of life? Fool, go to work. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, go to work. Provide for your family. <laughs> this is what the Bible says, right? Anyone who doesn't provide for the family is worse than a non-believer. I'm like, oh, so that was like it's a thing. biblical what you were doing. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. My grandparents, if I tried to like bring them, like I always talk about like, there's this, one of the things I think we worship really well is ourselves. Mm-hmm. And the way you see this is like, 
when I was in when I was in seminary, I think we were there at the same time. Yeah. I remember it was like BuzzFeed articles, like which Marvel are you, like which Bible <laughs> character are you, and then it was like Myers Briggs at yeah. one point, and then the Enneagram, and now my niece the other day was like, "Oh, you are such a Capricorn." And I was offended. I didn't know what it meant. Like I, I literally, I don't know what that meant, but I knew to be offended by a twelve year old. And I think like that question though, who am yeah. I? We can rebuke that question and say, oh, that's like, that's a question only moderns ask, our grandparents ever would. But actually the question, who am Mm. I? If you ask it the right way and of the right sources, Genesis 1 will answer you. And if you ask that question, it may just lead you to the, like, I think part of our problem is in our discipleship model. We think behavior, behave. And and that's and I'm going. What if instead we taught people to ask and answer, "Who is God? Who am I? Who are others? And yes. how those relate?" And if that's part of the discipleship, suddenly that desire to understand why am I full of rage? Oh, it's because I'm an Enneagram eight. I'm like, well, what if it's because God has designed me, yeah. in in my conformity to Christ to care about justice, mm. so that when He flips over tables, I'm like, I get that. Yeah. I, I understand yeah. that. But everybody else is uncomfortable at Sunday school, and I'm not, because I'm like, no, no. I've always had a need for justice in my life. Thank you, Lord, that you made me like you. And everybody else is like, why is he angry? Why is this in here? I'm like, You'll be all right. I always call it like Angry Tuesday. I think it's on Tuesday of, of Holy Week. I'm like, it's Angry Tuesday and all you hate the title, but we're going to talk, talk about, about it. it. So, yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. Because it, it is. I, I think that distinction between um, we teach you about behavior and so we just need you to do the, we need to do the what, but we don't always paint this vision of this is what the what points us to or helps us, reminds us of or forms us in. Because again, it's not that we all have the same questions. And as Christians, what we believe is a gospel provides the only true questions that are better than everyone else's, quote, true answers that are better than everyone else's. And that you will worship in the best place for you to worship is at the feet of the one who created you. And that is the Lord. And in the moments where that is really easy to believe, we get to come to church and remind other people of that who are struggling. In the moments where it's hard for us to believe that, we get to be in a community of people who will gird us up. I think about this idea of lament and the seasons of life that Mm -hmm. words just aren't enough to describe the pain we're experiencing and how we see from the people of God, specifically in the Psalms, that they would come together to sing about their pain together. And so this yeah. idea of worship being communal is that not only am I living out my my true design, I'm doing that amongst other people who can help me in the seasons where I feel like doing that and I don't. Because you're not always going to feel like showing up to the yeah. church building. yeah. I mean, if I didn't get paid, I wouldn't be there Listen. every week. I mean, that's for sure. <laughs> you know, it's real. It's real. Yeah, yeah. Well, and we, I think even post, you know, post-COVID is sort of like the average committed churchgoer goes twice a month. Yeah. That's committed. That's committed. I'm like, something's deeply yeah. broken here if that is sufficient yeah. for your formation. And I would argue it's not. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, that's that idea yeah. of what, what pulls you in mm-hmm. more than just obedience. Yeah. And I do think there's something you say, if you love me, obey me. There, I'm not somebody that dogs obedience. Yeah. But is there a is there an expectation mm. that what I have is necessary for the flourishing of my church and what my neighbor has is is necessary for my flourishing? And I don't think we talk like yeah. that about it. Yeah. Well, Micah, you've been in seminary. You've been in vocational ministry for quite some time. And I would believe that you are not only a person who preaches these things, but you live them. And so when you think about your own journey with the Lord, how have you seen living in community with God's people both on Sunday, but also throughout the week, transform you? Yeah, that's such a good question. I loved this question. I 
I was in a mega church prior to the post that I'm in yeah. now. And the gift that was in that one, I was in a very committed, uh, I think we call them community groups back then. Yeah. So I was in a very, and that group still gathers. Okay. Like I'm having dinner with those women oh, on yeah. Thursday. I haven't been in that church context in six years. Wow. So, I mean, you're talking about abiding relationship. Yeah. And I think like, that was such a gift. But then I then I transitioned to my much smaller church. I always say I went from my mega to my mini. Yeah. And I went from knowing what I was doing <laughs> to like, I don't have a clue yeah. what I'm doing. So it was great. It was a lot of dependence. And and now it's interesting. The community, because I was in a mega church, you're sort of like assigned like these seven yeah. women. This is your community because it's too big. Yeah. And now... I run into my people. Like, I, I like, see them at the bar. Yeah. And I use that because that's, like, an actual thing where we used to meet up. Or I see them at the grocery store. I see them just out and about. Or I go play and pick a ball. Yeah. There it is again. See, I'm in a cult. And, <laughs> and I think, like, what that has done is a reminder of, like, a whole life experience of when we talk about community, what I used to think was, oh, we gather on Sunday and then Tuesday night and that's community. Yeah. And instead I'm like, no, these are the people I do. I just went on vacation with three of my parishioners. Now, two of them are my roommates and one's just a good friend. Yeah. But like this idea of if I stepped, if I quit my job, mm. right, tomorrow, because of how it has been so intertwined in my life, mm. I would be missing my friends, my the people I break bread with, the people I play games with, the people I pray with, the the people that have carried me. And so one of the ways that I would say I saw it the most and I am convinced is one of the big reasons God brought me to St. Jude is three years ago, actually today, my sister took her life. And when, I mean, the trauma and the grief yeah. were almost insurmountable. And then there was my body right there. I mean, I never, I never wanted for Topo Chico, which is my, my drug of choice. <laughs> I never, I don't think, I was telling my roommate the other day, I don't think we bought groceries with our own money for a year wow. because there were so many gift cards, like truly a year. I, I can't remember, there were months of cards coming in and prayers coming in and people wept with me and people just stood there. And I remember I would just show up to church and I was sad. Oh, I mean, I was sad yeah. forever. I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to be the sad girl forever. And I would, I would try to teach and I would sometimes get through it without tears, but most of the time there'd be tears and I would look out and I'd see tears back mm -hmm. at me and it was like such a picture of Jesus weeping over Lazarus and there's yeah. my people. And so I don't, I know God is sufficient and he would have carried me through that season without this body. I'm so glad I didn't have to. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that one of the means at which God is near and draws near to the brokenhearted is through his people. And and so all that to say, like, I'm used to being the one that gives. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the, I get paid yeah. to give. Like, I'm here for you. And to watch our body turn around and go, we'll carry you and we'll be, and we'll wait. You don't have to be funny. It's fine. You don't have to be funny ever again. And I got my sense yeah. of humor back, but I remember thinking, oh my gosh, mm. will I be loved? If I'm not winsome, will I be loved if I'm sad? Will I be loved if every time I show up to the party and they're like, that guy's here, yeah. like, she's real sad right now. And not only did I find out I was loved, it was one of the most beautiful pictures of First Corinthians 12, the body, where you look out for the most vulnerable member and the patience, the grace, the gift that, that, that my church was to me and my people were to me in that season. This is why, you know, we always think like God gives commands because he's like a killjoy. He's like, here's the rules. I don't know. And I'm like, no, what if he's like, hey, I want you to have deep abiding relationship so that when the floor drops out, someone's there to grab you and love you and care for you because that's what I want for you, kiddo. Like, I want you to be loved and cared for at your lowest moment. And that to me is... I, I am I am all like all in on this community thing, sold out on this thing. Because you know, mentioned it earlier, the epidemic of loneliness, that is people who are doing okay. Now you talk about going through what I went through and my family went through. 
I cannot fathom going through that without the people. And I'm so glad I didn't have to. Yeah. To hear you to, to say that is just, I see this vision of the beauty of the community that you're a part of. And it's like this holistic organism that does so many different things, but those people were not new to you. Like you hadn't met them the day before, that that was a community that you had been a part of and growing with and doing the hard things with and the fun things with for some time. And so I think sometimes with church, it can be hard because the beauty we don't always see immediately. Yeah. Or the hardness will say, man, this isn't. Because it's hard, we think it's wrong. And so we kind of right. leave. <laughs> <We're> like, <laughs> we don't like to leave it. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah. you know, I think in, in light of what you've experienced and how uh, the community of the church really held you up in such a difficult season of your life, what would you say to the person who's like, yeah, Nika, that's cool for you, but I'm not sure I want to do that. Or I've tried that and that was really hard for me. Yeah. What encouragement would you have for that person? So I would say there's there's a theological encouragement and then there's sort of this missional encouragement. Theological is this. You are made in the image of a Trinitarian God who eternally existed, three persons, one essence. Like you you cannot be fully yourself if you are not in relationship. Yeah. Like self-donating, loving, like the Father, the Son, and the Spirit orbit around each other in this perichoresis dance of love forever. And then they said, hey, out of the overflow, not a lack. Don't don't let anybody tell you there was a God you shaped hole in God's heart like that's mm-hmm. that's not good you'll die under the pressure, but there this idea of you are you cannot be fully alive ever alone because of the way you image a trinitarian God means that you you can you will spend the rest of your life pursuing whatever it is that you think is there for you and you will always feel that ache which is a gift, that's a gift so that's the theological part of it the second missional part of that is. When you talked about the communal lament, when you talk about the one another's description, when you talk about how how faith is even wired, the hardest things in life are relationships. They are the most important things in life, too. And you're going to always do hard. Like, I don't know where we got this idea of like hard is bad or we don't lean in or what. Like, you're, you're going to be hurt in relationships in the church. So just choose to be hurt by relationships. <laughs> you're going to be hurt in relation. Yeah. Like, you're going to be hurt by yeah. relationships for the rest of your life. So risk on what God is saying is good. Like if you're going, like relationships are inherently risky. Love is inherently risky. It comes with wounds. It's why the Bible already talks about it. Like this is why it talks about forgiveness. It's why it talks about suffering with people. So bet and risk on the things that God says are good and pursue those things. And you may just find that at the end of that, because we have a benevolent, good, loving God, that in those relationships, you may just find more joy and goodness and beauty than you could possibly fathom. And yes, you'll get kicked. Yes. And people are oh, sheep bite. I'm like, yeah, of course they do. But also humans bite. Like humans stink. (laughs) Like Genesis 3 is real. I can't promise I won't hurt you. I can't, I can't promise I won't be hurt by you, but I can promise you that if you take God seriously at what he's calling us to be and who he's made us and wired us to be, then the risk becomes worth it. Love is worth the risk. And, and that's why I'd say is like avail yourself to that because when you hear that communal lament, like one of my favorite things I tell people about in the Bible, like I, when I, when my sister died, I used to like get home, I'd park in the driveway and I would like yell at the devil. Like I'd be like, you suck. (laughs) I hate you. I can't wait to see you get yours. And then I went to Revelation 18, 19, 20, where it talks about yeah. Babylon falling and Babylon being this like fill in for all the evil regimes of the world. And there's this moment when you watch Babylon sink and you hear the cacophony of cheers from the people of God. And one of the things I want to point out is if you have chosen to avail yourself to community, not only will you yell out this guttural sound of victory, 
of like, we finally vanquished it. God finally vanquished the enemy. You'll look over and you'll see your friend Elizabeth and you'll know what has travailed her and you'll be so grateful that it's gone. And you'll look over and you'll see your other friends and you'll know the harm that they've been through. And you will understand how like their cheers of joy, you will understand the cost that it took them to get there. And when you look around and you see what God has done for your people, in addition for you, that is the biblical picture of community. And you don't want to be standing there on the final day being like, everybody's really happy. I wonder, I wonder what they want. <laughs> through like you want to look out and go I know what Elizabeth went through I know what Nika went through I know what fill in the blank went through and to to get to watch them watch the one who was responsible for their suffering finally face justice I can't think of a better feeling and it might be because I'm an Enneagram mate or it might be because I'm conformed by Christ <laughs> into this care for judgment but I think that's the picture like that's where we're headed where we're headed is we are the communal people of God be now who you will be then that is one of the fundamental things of Christianity is we are to be now who we will be then. So avail yourself to what God has for you now. It will only get better. I promise you, because if it gets worse in this lifetime, I promise you in the next lifetime, it will get better for you. It gets better. <laughs> like there's part of me wishes we were in the same room because I would have like high five you, stop this <laughs> right around the room. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> because it just is like part of my story growing up is I'm asking these questions. I mean, why, why does this matter? Like I, I, you can walk me through all the scriptures, but okay, why is this important? And to get a place in my journey where it's like, man, this is the most beautiful thing ever. And what I just heard you describe, Nika, is this community that like, brings up in me, it stirs the affections of my heart to this is where I want to be. Mm. And in all the places I could choose, like you said, it's hard everywhere. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so choose the hard that you at least get empowered by yeah. the Holy Spirit to deal with, but that we will rejoice together, that the hard we all carried and we helped each other carry has been vanquished once for all. Mm. And we get to live yeah. with an eternity Together, do now what you will do for eternity. Ah, so powerful. Like, I'm going to ask you to land the plane for us and to give us what you've already given us, which is the gospel. And so when we think about Acts, we think about the New Testament community, we think about this practice of worship. How do those things point us to the gospel? Yeah, I think when people hear that, that word gospel, I think they narrow it often to just say, oh, you don't have to go to hell. Yeah. Well, it's a little bit bigger than that. If the gospel is the heralding of the good news, and it starts, of course, like I always take people to Ephesians 2. Mm -hmm. Kind of go, we, everybody, if you're going to start memorizing yeah. scripture, you're going to end up in Ephesians yeah. 2, 8, 9, right? right? It's, and you should. I always say, like, people go, do you mock that? I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> Like memorize that. But the gospel start like the gospel, this being this idea of like you have been given this incredible gift by mm -hmm. through grace, through faith. Yeah. It's not your own doing, it's yeah. your own boast, like this incredible yeah. gift of the gospel. And then we stop before verse 10. We really should go to verse 10 when it's like, hey, and by the way, the gospel keeps going. So not only are you saved from eternal damnation, great, yay, but also you, prior to you ever taking a breath, before your parents could ever even understand what they were creating in that act of union. God had gifts prepared before him for you to do. You are his handiwork is what the CSB says. This idea of God has fashioned you for work. And then we stop there and ah, yeah, but they keep going because then 11 through 22 says unto what, right? Mm -hmm. So if if eight and nine are like, hey, you've been given this unbelievable gift of, of faith and grace, which allows you to be a part of the kingdom of God. And by the way, your mission critical in verse 10, that God, before you ever took a breath, had work for you to do. And by the way, into this yeah. community, 11 through 22, where the dividing wall of hostility has been knocked down. If that whole thing is the picture of the gospel, yeah. you're saved from your sin. 
by a loving and gracious God, and he has work for you to do, and he has a body that he wants you to belong to, then you are cheating yourself out of the full gospel Mm. if you choose to not be in relationship. Yes, you won't have to, you don't have to, the wages of sin have been paid for. Yes. No, you don't ever have to do your good deeds. You're right. You don't. We're lacking. You're lacking. It's fine. We're suffering. We're limping a little. If you don't get in the game, fine. You don't have to. And no, you don't have to actually be united to people who are difficult because I cannot imagine an ancient first century Jewish man and a Gentile woman actually breaking bread and yet somehow because of the gospel they do. So like, yeah, you don't have to if people want to just say the gospel is no strings attached. Sure. Why would you why would you not choose to receive the gifts that God has given you? Like why why would you cut like yourself out of one of the beautiful blessings that is the gospel? The gospel is so much more than a future day. It is an entire holistic life that you get to live now that leans into the future and the things you do now if they're done in by faith through the power of the spirit actually survive into the end if you don't have a dispensational view, but we don't want to talk about that. And so like you you get to Use gifts empowered by God himself for the benefit of others. And you get to belong to a community where by God's grace, there is peace between you and the other that you should have nothing in common with. Mm -hmm. Like you shouldn't get along. Elizabeth, you and I know the history of our country. There was a day where you and I would not naturally break bread. And because of the gospel, you are my sister. And I delight in that. Mm -hmm. And I don't want a heaven where you're not in it. And that is 11 through 22. and, And you get to be that now. And that is what the gospel is. So Stop cutting yourself short, people. Lean into that. Receive all of the gifts of the gospel, not just the future. Receive them now as a part of a community that makes the world scratch their head and say, why do these kinds of people get along? And it's because we have something greater that unites us. You know, we look at the entirety of the story of scripture. This is one of the reasons I love walking through it in its entirety, because you get to see how the themes progress and this idea that we were created in shalom in relationship with God to both receive it, but also give it. And sin messes that up. We spent a lot of time in scripture talking about that. (laughs) But then Jesus comes and Jesus makes a way for Mm -hmm. us to both receive and to give uh, and to experience this this fullness and abundance of life that we were designed to have. And and it is not, like you said, like abundance for the future. Yes. But it's also abundance now. And that abundance many times is a greatest witness to say to other people, hey, you have something that I want. Oh, let me tell you about the one through whom this abundance comes. But it is that we don't do it alone. We do it in community. And in that community, we come to this place of worship on a regular basis to both give and to receive and to be reminded of what's right, true, and beautiful. So that as we are living in a world that is broken, a world that still has impact of sin, that our eyes are not blinded by that. Uh, But we hold one another together as we live faithfully uh, until our Savior returns. Nika. Thank you. Thank you for stopping by and sharing your wisdom with us today. I love it. I was honored you asked. I know you have a lot of friends (laughs) who know these things. So I was truly honored. So thank you. Hey, the Lord just, he always brings a person to mind. And I am so happy he brought you to mind for this conversation. You have blessed me. And I know the listeners have been blessed as well. Thank you, friend. Through Jesus, we are all invited into a new community. One people, united under our sovereign Lord and King, Jesus. While not always perfect, this community helps us better understand God and be transformed into the likeness of His Son. And as Nika so powerfully reminded us, we ought to be now who we will be then. 
right? We live in community with other Christians because we will live in community with other Christians for eternity. And so with that, here is our reflection question for this week. How has your spiritual community helped you know and love God more? Whether it's with your small group, the people you serve with, the folks in your Bible study class, the beauty of community is that we get to better understand God as other image bearers reflect his character back to us. Sometimes that shows up for us through the comfort they give us in hard times or a hard word of correction when we have strayed from the way of Christ. Either way, think of how your community has helped you love and know God more. And if you aren't connected to other Christians at your church in a significant way, I pray that this week you take a small step of faith that will help you move towards a deeper relationship with the people of God. Thank you for listening to Starting Place. This podcast is designed to serve as an introduction, helping you understand and grow in your Christian faith. So if you're interested in learning more about today's topic or connecting with our guest, please check the show notes for more information. Also, we'd love to hear from you. So feel free to message us on Instagram or shoot us an email at podcast at the And don't forget to leave us a review wherever you listen to the podcast. It helps other people find the show and connect with us. Until next time, grace and peace, y'all. Thank you.